Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The year is 2001, and somebody once told me, the world is going to roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed, and neither is a lead character in today's film, Shrek. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unspooled. I'm Amy Nicholson. And I am Paul Shear, and this is the podcast where we are endeavoring to find the 100 best films of all time, and when we do, we are sending them to outer space. We are. Seriously, we are doing it. And Amy, the fantasy series continues. We've kind of walked backwards into a series without even labeling it. You know, I don't believe in labels, man. You can't judge series by their covers. We're just following where our heart takes us. We are on our own quest just like the Green Knight, and it has taken us to an accidental fantasy series just because every time I watch a fantasy film, it turns out I want to watch another one. Well, Amy, I want to address where this all started from, which was the Green Knight. Uh, The Green Knight, there's been a lot of great conversation in the Discord about the Green Knight. Um, We talked briefly in the episode about the end credit scene of Green Knight, which you hadn't seen, and I think a lot of people missed. And in that scene, we see what we believe to be uh, Gawain's daughter uh, putting on his crown. Now, the interesting thing about it is a little bit of research, and really not that deep of research, found that the daughter in the fantasy when the Green Knight showed him his future was played by a different actress. As a matter of fact, the actress in that fantasy was four years old and the one in the post-credit sequence is six years old. And the rooms (laughs) in which he dies are very different. So there is a little bit of a theory going on that this is a different ending 
he lived and maybe happily lived. His family didn't, like I said, uh, abandon him. And his daughter grew up to be a little bit older. And he was in a in a nicer room with light coming in, not shielding himself off from an impending invasion. So just a little bit more research from wow. the green night of it all. I mean, my goodness. I mean, if you're right, you're right. And if that's just some sweet, sweet swamp grass, also welcome. Welcome to the world of swamp grass. Like, I mean, I I appreciate any reading into a movie for serious, for serious, because I think if you're thinking about it and twisting it around in your head, you're almost never wrong, even if you're crazy. But this is not just turning it around. This is provable. Two different actresses, two different ages. Uh, Also want to talk a little bit about Monty Python. Uh, Somebody tweeted at us. That's Reverend Mark Schlazner. He said that the Black Knight grunts in Monty Python's Holy Grail has been used in video games like Civilization and in the movie Space Jam. Did not know that. So it's like the Wilhelm scream of fantasy movies? Yes. Oh, and there's one more interesting fact. Again, this is on our Twitter. And again, these conversations that we've been having in the Discord have been great. We actually built out a whole area in the Discord. Now it's growing. We have moderators in there. So check out the Discord. It's currently in my Discord, but there's a whole section there. It's discord.gg slash Paul Shear. But um, somebody brought up that the cinematographer of The Green Knight is also uh, helping out on the Moon Knight series right now on Disney+. Plus. So if you like that style, I think that people who have been watching Moon Knight, uh, like myself, know that that show is incredibly beautiful to look at. Uh, and you see, I think, a little bit of that same kind of style, just a really... Everything looks incredibly elevated in that show. Oh, you've been watching Moon Knight. I've been watching Moon Knight, too. Oh, look at us. We're staring at the same moon. Whoa, from our different I like places. this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I will say, Amy, so many people have come to us, and I wanted to throw down this gauntlet to you, that we needed to talk about Life of Brian. People feel like Life of Brian is the better film People were upset with me that I kind of dismissed it, and I have to rewatch it again, but there's been a lot of talk, a lot of discourse about it. And I think maybe we should put that when we uh, do a, a religion series, maybe like we should put that a little bit huh. further down the line. What if what if we vow? What if we make a solemn mm. nun like vow to do a religion series exactly a year from today so we can time it with Easter and we can do ooh, ooh, we can do Passion of the Christ and we can do the last temptation of Christ. <gasps> I'm in. I am uh, all in on that. All right. Uh, but let's not get ahead of ourselves because we are still in fantasy. We're also in an animation and there's so many things to talk about. So shall we unspool it? The year is 2001, and following 9-11 attacks, letters containing anthrax spores are mailed to several news media offices and senators, killing five and infecting 17. Enron files for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection, Apple releases iTunes and the iPod, Wikipedia launches its free online encyclopedia, and Napster is ordered to close down. Oh. Napster. Timothy McVeigh is executed for the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, and the hot, hot, hot movies of this year include Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Monsters, Inc., The Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Rings, and today's film, Shrek. Amy, who's in it? What's it about? And what was on the radio? Shrek! It is the story of a misanthropic ogre who learns to welcome others into his swamp. Uh, the movie is directed by Andrew Adamson and Vicki Jensen, but it was pushed into existence by Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was very mad at Disney, very mad at Michael Eisner, really wanted to stick it to the mouse with this movie. 
which he did. Um, he doubled it when Shrek won the very first ever animated feature Oscar at the Academy Awards. Shrek is, of course, voiced by Mike Myers. Eddie Murphy is his trusty talking donkey. Donkey? That's very hard to say. Donkey! Uh, donkey! You have to say Cameron like Diaz that. is Princess Fiona. Uh, she's cursed to be human beautiful during the day and ogre hideous at night. And she is double cursed to be claimed by the irritating image conscious Lord Farquaad, voiced by John Lithgow. Take a listen. She waited in the dragon's keep, in the highest room of the tallest tower, for her true love and true love's first kiss. <laughs> like that's ever gonna happen. Oh, Lord. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kind of dumb with her finger and her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead. Shrek premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. Yes, Cannes Film Festival in competition for the Palme d'Or. That is huge. Um, it's the first American animated film to compete for the Palme d'Or since Peter Pan all the way back in 1953. It did not win, of course. But as a connection actually to last week's episode... One of the people on that jury was Terry Gilliam, and he gave the award to something else. Um, immediately after its camp premiere, Shrek was released in theaters on May 16th, and it dominated the summer. Uh, also dominating that summer was a huge, huge song from a huge, huge album by Janet Jackson that I would say has a bit of a Fiona edge. It's about being a pop princess who married your prince. And then in this album, you got divorced and you wanted to tell the whole world that you are thriving and being happy just as you are. I love this song. This song was number one for like two months. It is called All For You. I'm a girl to the party, look at that body, shaking that thing like you never did see. Got a nice package, all right, cause I'm gonna have to ride it tonight. I'm a girl to the party, look at that body, shaking that thing like you never did see. Got a nice package, all right. Edit. Four, three, two, one. <laughs> Ooh, that is a great song. I love that song as well. And this movie is truly interesting because when we talked about doing it, I was like, I don't really want to do Shrek. And I think I had Shrek fatigue because Shrek has been so injected into our consciousness that I think I was beginning to feel like Shrek is bad. Like, Shrek is not worthy to even be discussed. But here's the thing. Besides spawning a Broadway musical, which I saw on its touring run here in Los Angeles, um, up how in the balcony. How was it? Was there a person in a Shrek? I mean, how like was singing? it? I would say it was like watching Shrek, but on stage. I mean, wow, it was exactly the movie it wasn't like julie tamor came in and you know reinvented what a, a musical would look like i would say the most entertaining thing in many respects was the costume that the lead actor was in as shrek but it's a very confining role because obviously you have to act like mike myers it, it, there's some things about it i always have a hard time with these adaptations of films into stage plays. I think they did it with The Bodyguard. They've done it with uh, Harry Potter. They've done oh, my, it with... Oh my gosh, um, I've seen Dirty Dancing. I've seen Legally Blonde. I've seen all of them. 
It's kind of like the way that Olive Garden is to Italian restaurants. It's like, hey, you like this movie? Won't you like it on stage? Because now you're seeing theater. But it's not really theater. It's just an, it's just, you're just watching a movie live. I mean, there, there's no added element to it. Was the guy dancing in the Shrek outfit? Yes. Is, he, is it capable of movement? Yes, but you huh. should do some research. The uh, the actor who originated the role, uh, very funny guy, and that costume seemed like a legitimate nightmare. Um, but, you know, Shrek has been around for a long time. Not only for us, this movie came out in 2001, but Shrek has been around way before it even came out. Did you know that originally uh, Steven Spielberg was going to produce it and it was going to be Bill Murray as Shrek? And Steve Martin as Donkey. Yeah, and the, he kicked that around. He also kicked around Dan Aykroyd and Chris Rock. Wow. And, you know, there's two really interesting things about this. I know we're talking about some Shrek history before we get into the Shrek film, but I find it fascinating. You know, Chris Farley was supposed to be Shrek. Recorded pretty much the entire film. And then when he passed away, they decided to recast it. They recast it with Mike Myers, who did the film in his own voice and it didn't work and then tried a few different variations and then landed on his Scottish persona uh, that he is kind of perfected in other movies. Like you and I were talking about our love of, so I married an ax murderer and brings it to Shrek. And that's when the movie kind of pops. It suddenly starts to work. And I'm just kind of fascinated by the amount of people who said, no, the, amount of versions of this film that they've done. And I, you know, I did a, uh, a DreamWorks f- uh, film, or actually I should say I did a DreamWorks TV special. And I was amazed at how much rewriting and retooling they did in the process of releasing the film. And I don't know if that's across the board, but it was the only time I ever worked that much on an animated project because they really are testing it on every single level to perfect this this thing. And I think that that's a Katzenberg thing. It was like, when will this movie work the best? And they just kept on driving it home, driving it home and perfecting it, perfecting it, perfecting it. I think that that was a staple of, of definitely the earlier Katzenberg DreamWorks animated films. Well, yeah, I mean, you might have noticed when I did my little summary of the movie, I didn't even bother to try to say who wrote the film, because honestly... J.J. Like, Abrams wrote the film. Like he's one of the one of the many names. One of the yeah. like swamp of people who worked yes. on this film. I mean, it's a it's a really interesting story. Like the whole background of this. Like there's actually a whole book on on this period of like DreamWorks history where it really gets into like the creation of Shrek and all the animosity that was going on. But let's just sort of start with like the Farley of it all. Because you really see when you look at Shrek, I feel like you can see the Farley under Shrek even still, right? Yes. It's got Chris Farley's smile. It's got his cheekbones. It's got his eyes. The early drafts of the Shrek figure had his hair, the hair that he had in Tommy Boy, you know, kind of like shaggy mop top kind of hair. And actually, there are some clips of of early kind of pencil sketches of what Shrek would have looked like matched up with some of the lines that Chris Farley recorded. And you can hear it's it's a really different take on Shrek. Let's listen to it. Yeah, he can join the club. People see me and they go, ah, help. A big, stupid, stinky, smelly, ugly ogre. I'm so scared. They judge me before they even know me. My folks always told me that everyone loves ogres. I see. So, 
I guess they were a little overprotective. A little? As you can hear, it's kind of sadder and a little bit slower yeah. and more sincere. And when he gets angry, he gets really angry. Like there's a lot of Farley in that Shrek. And honestly, when Farley was doing this version of Shrek, people weren't expecting it to be this sort of like a huge, huge hit. It was kind of supposed to be the weird DreamWorks movie that they were making off in the margins while all of the great animators at DreamWorks were working on The Prince of Egypt. That was supposed to be like the big one, the huge prestige picture. Shrek was kind of the low budget one. Like actually, if you got fired from working on Prince of Egypt, they moved you over to Shrek. They called it getting Shreked, which was an insult. They also called Shrek the gulag because it was just all the people who had been fired from all the movies that they cared about more. And they were just sort of stuck over here in Shrek, which was really impossible to, to make it work. I mean, this is based on a, on a kid's book that's 30 pages long. And the only pitch that Katzenberg really had for it when he was trying to convince people to do it was ugliest guy in the world meets the ugliest woman in the world, but edgy. And people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but edgy? Okay. So yeah, they tore it apart, tore it apart, tore it apart. They could not figure out at all what the tone was. And I think we come back to this a lot on the show, this common theme of no one knew what they were doing. They're throwing a lot at the wall and then this alchemy just kind of clicks. And whether that alchemy is getting rid of Jeanine Garofalo, who was supposed to play Princess Fiona. They got rid of her when Chris Farley died, didn't tell her why, replaced her with Cameron Diaz. You know, this movie is very different with Bill Murray. It's very different with Chris Farley. It would have been very different with uh, <laughs> the great uh, Nicolas Cage, who was supposed to play Shrek, but didn't want to play an ugly ogre because he didn't want to scare kids. And, no, and even you Alan... have to hear him talk about that, actually. It's really funny. Yeah. Is it true that you turned down Shrek? Uh, yes, that is in fact uh, true. But there was a report that it was because you thought the character was ugly. Well, that's got to be crazy. Well, the, the news said it was because of vanity. I think that's a bit strong. <laughs> um, but no, the, the truth is I'm not afraid to be ugly in a movie. I mean, have a look at adaptation. I'm as ugly as a turd coughed up by a cat in that movie. <laughs> but, but I must say that when you're drawn, in a way it says more about how children are going to see you than anything else. And so I care about that. I want kids to look at Grog and go, well, he's a little scary, but he's a big teddy bear. And I wasn't sure I could do that with Shrek. And you even think about this film with Alan Rickman as Lord Farquhar, and it would have been different. And I think it's so interesting with animation that you can continually play with all the pieces until you find this right chemistry. More than, uh, you know, live action films, you can keep on playing, like you said, like in the margins, and it can kind of be on the side. The movie took four years to animate. So in that time, besides re-recording all of Mike Myers' lines, which was like 20 sessions, and that cost like $4 million, and they didn't even get all of his lines, because at one point, Katzenberg had to fight in New York and get a line they missed from Mike Myers in the back of a limo. That line is in this film, and you really can't... I don't think you can really do that in other films because there's there's a point of no return like yes you can make the monsters bigger you could add some music at the last second but you know animated films gives a lot of power to your creators your directors and you can continually make something uh, you know better and better and better i think that that's so exciting about this medium Yeah, no, it really is. I mean, that's kind of one of the things I really wanted to put myself in the mindset of when we did a Shrek episode, when I forced you to do a Shrek episode against (laughs) your will, is I wanted to try to remember what it was like when Shrek came out. And it was so exciting for people that it felt like this revolutionary step forward in animation. Again, playing can. Not only does it win the very first Academy Award uh, for animated feature, 
they really seriously pushed and that it would be nominated for Best Picture and genuinely thought they had a shot. Like this film feels like a punchline to me. You know, it's right. just Smash Mouth and swamps and. Well, by the jokes. way, Smash Mouth was a temp placeholder that they just put in there. It wasn't supposed to be the. It does feel incongruous to the rest of the film, but it was just put in there for test screenings. People liked it so much, like, well, we can't change it. And <laughs> and by the way, it makes that song the, giant. It does. It does. I mean, to me, Shrek is that song. But there's also like this whole fight between um, the Smash Mouth guys and Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins over that song, over like who was supposed to do that big song, because like they both keep claiming they didn't really want to do it. Billy Corgan was like, you know, they offered it to the Smashing Pumpkins, but we said no. And Smash Mouth was like, we said no too. We said no too. They just kept calling us because they really wanted us to do it. And, and, and it's, I don't know, it's the weirdest like anti-pissing match if you can have one they're both like i don't it's bizarre but the song that they're going to use of the smashing pumpkins was this one called untitled it sounded like this so this is what shrek could have sounded like Why do you think they wanted a band that just said smash in it? (laughs) Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's something interesting about this film just from the standpoint of it is different. And the reason why I say that, and I'm sure there are people out there that are much more versed in animation than I am, but I think I can say this pretty confidently. This is the anti-Disney animated film. At this point, Prince of Egypt is very much like a Disney film. The look of Prince of Egypt looks like a Disney film. This movie is doing all the things that Disney can't do. It is taking the piss out of Disney. It's opening up with a shit and a fart joke. It's opening up with Smash Mouth. It just feels current and meta, even though it's telling a very traditional story. And I was really kind of blown away by that because I think in many ways, Shrek opens the door In 2001, for what we now see in 2022, this wide berth of amazing animation, like it was, I think it elevated animation. I think it, it opened it up to be more than 
the Disney product that we were getting, the, the Lion Kings, the Little Mermaids, these big films. I know there are other films that are animated that are coming out. Like you talk about Don Bluth, but Don Bluth also kind of felt in that same vein, right? Like this felt and I oh, yeah. hate to use this like, term, but punk rock, like there is something about yeah. it. And punk rock is an overused term, but it did feel like, fuck you. We're doing it this way. And and we don't care. Like it was a little bit more adult themed. Yeah. They're like, oh, fairy tales. I'm going to call Snow White a dead broad. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Dead broad off the table. Where are we supposed to put it? The bed's taken. Huh? By the way, I like that joke that they are making fun of the fact that we've really talked about this a lot in the last like year or so, that like to awaken her, you have to kiss her dead lips. Like it's like, oh, yeah, like without her consent. Like, I think there is a line in there like they hit all the things. Yeah. I mean, when they do that little princess bachelorette monologue, like the bachelorette dating game. Yeah. It it really, to me as a kid was like, oh, my gosh, these these fairy tales are kind of screwed up. It's time for you to meet today's eligible bachelorettes. And here they are. Bachelorette number one is a mentally abused shut-in from a kingdom far, far away. She likes sushi and hot tubbing anytime. Her hobbies include cooking and cleaning for her two evil sisters. Please welcome Cinderella. Bachelorette number two is a cape-wearing girl from the land of fancy. Although she lives with seven other men, she's not easy. Just kiss her dead, frozen lips and find out what a live wire she is. Come on, give it up for Snow White. And last, but certainly not least, Bachelorette number three is a fiery redhead from a dragon-guarded castle surrounded by hot, boiling lava. But don't let that cool you off. She's a loaded pistol who likes pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. Yours for the rescuing, Princess Fiona! However, we gotta say, there was an opening to be reworking this type of template that Disney had created, because at this moment in animation, it's not working for Disney either. I mean, when Shrek comes out, kind of both DreamWorks and Disney are tanking. Like Disney is making Atlantis, the Emperor's New Groove. Oof. DreamWorks is making Ants. They're making El Dorado, like movies that nobody really remembers. They're they're battling over bugs. You know, like Disney's like, we're going to do Bugs Life. And DreamWorks is like, okay, we're going to do Ants. But like, it's not clicking really for anybody. The only people who are really killing it are Pixar with a Bugs Life, but even Bugs Life is kind of considered weak compared to Toy Story. So this is a moment when animation is like, what are we doing? What do we want to do? And Shrek is like, oh, what if we just give everybody the finger? Yeah, well, I think it leads with comedy. And I want to talk about this maybe throughout this whole episode, but this larger idea of what animation can be. And I think oftentimes studios are chasing the success. We want the next Lion King. We want the next Aladdin. And this movie makes, you know, a strong left turn and all of a sudden shows, oh, you can make something that isn't your mom and dad's animated film. We can be edgier. We can have cooler people being funnier in this world. And look, I know Eddie Murphy was already in uh, Mulan and doing a, you know, a similar kind of character, but there's something about this. And I've seen both of these movies recently where this movie just feels more alive. There's just something more um, fresh about this movie. And I'm surprised that I'm saying that because I didn't want to see it. And I think I've just been, I think it's just been, I've been over Shrek. Um, well, I think part of why we feel that way is because all of the Shrek sequels, this is what I'm trying to separate in my head too. Shrek one, 
not terrible. The rest of the Shreks, sloppier and weirder and, and kind of more out there in a way that's not even cool. I mean, like by the time you get to Puss in Boots, they're making jokes about prison rape. I mean, do you remember how edgy they got when you're like, that's not even funny? Plus, you got any idea what they do to eggs in San Ricardo prison? I'll tell you this, my friend. It ain't over easy. Oh, Jesus. I mean, there's like, you know, well, kind look, of if that's sending... what's happening in Puss in Boots, the new one's coming <laughs> out in September. I mean, where where to next? Well, that's the thing, because like, I think Shrek came out and it was really the first movie that I remember watching feeling like it was straddling a line between kids and adult, you know, mm-hmm. which is weird because it came at a time when I was between a kid and an adult. You know, I wasn't sure who I was. And here was a movie that felt like it was for everybody and everything. I don't remember seeing a ton of movies before this that had adult like adult jokes that I got for the first time where you're mm-hmm. like oh that's a boner joke you know where it's right, not right. just like fart jokes but boner jokes and like asides and references to like if you like pina coladas stuff where I was like oh my god I get all of these jokes which is weird because they're pretty lame jokes and now we're at a point where I actually hate it when a lot of animated films do that. I'm like, why do you have, why can't you just make a kid's film for kids? But it felt revolutionary to me when Shrek did that. As a parent now, and I know I've talked about this a lot on the show, it it's so exciting when you see a great animated film and I feel like animation is often subjected to being lumped into kids' films, right? Like kids' films and animated films are the same thing, and they're not. And there's a great op-ed that Lord Miller just wrote about this. Um, Because at the Academy Awards this year, three of the new Disney princesses came out and they, they had this moment. Hold such a special place in our hearts because animated films make up some of our most formative movie experiences as kids. So many kids watch these movies over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. I see some parents out there know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> Here are the nominees for Best Animated Feature Film. And you, when they're saying that, this is the Academy Awards, and you're talking about this film being nominated for Academy Award, winning an Academy Award, like they are devaluing what animation is. And they're saying animated films are what parents endure because their kids love them so much. And I think there needs to be this shift where we start to say animated films are a medium. You know, there are movies that can be, you know, almost like these animated documentaries like Richard Linklater did uh, with this new Apollo film or Flea. Um, Or you can do something, you know, like Spirited Away, which... I wouldn't classify as a, a kid's film. I would classify as a beautiful film. And it's it's funny in that op-ed that Lord Miller wrote, like, Miziaki has never even been invited to the Academy Awards. Like, and you think about, like, his impact on film. And I think this idea of we are so quick to assume just because it's animated, and this is probably Disney's fault, it's for kids. And I would argue that some of the best films I've seen in the recent memory like Mitchell's versus the machines into the spider-verse they're in my like top 10 films of the last couple of years and I'm like they're not kids films they're just great films they're a medium of their own I mean can I ask kind of an adjacent question to this and maybe this is just because like of the generation I grew up in and the fact that I just have a cat I hang out with but why do parents today watch 
kids movies with their kids all the time? Why are the kids just not sitting alone, hanging out, eating popcorn? Like, why do parents watch these movies with their kids? Like, why well, do they, why is there an expectation that they have to be like tolerable for parents to also watch? Well, I think you don't want to just leave your kids in front of a TV. I mean, you know, obviously, yes, there are times where my kids are watching television and I'm not in the room. But when we do a movie night, like a family movie night, or we go out to the theater, I'm, you know, I'm not taking them to go see like Matt Reeves, Batman, you know, like, uh, and I'm not going to say, hey, yeah. you guys I mean, go that's see. That's my biggest problem with the new Batman is like, they took Batman and now kids don't even want to go see it because it's grim. <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying that like, you go, like the the experience of seeing films with your kids, I remember that with my dad. I loved seeing those movies. Unfortunately, there aren't that many live action family films. They are now subjected really purely to streaming, like, you know, uh, Cheaper by the Dozen, which is a really fun film. But that's just, you know, you're not going out to the theater to see it. These are the movies. The big films are in the theaters. You go and see it. One of the best parts of the pandemic was having like a service like Disney Plus, and I'm not, you know, uh, selling Disney Plus, but the idea like that they were releasing all these films, like my kids got to watch new films and we would sit and watch them together. It was great. Like, so yes, not all the time, but when your kids get into something, for example, I'm so thankful my kids love the Lego movie. It's in my car. I have a DVD of the Lego movie in my car. It plays, I've probably listened to Lego movie no less than 50 times. And it is so incredibly funny, so well-directed, so well-acted. It's like, oh, if I have to listen to a movie 50 times, thank God it's a Lego movie. Uh, And that's, I think, why parents are often drawn to this idea, like, your kids want to hear, and the the staple one would be like, oh, you know, we don't talk about Bruno, or let it go, whatever it is. So kids want to hear those things on repeat, or watch those scenes on repeat. And when your kids like something... They just want to watch it again yeah. and again and again and again and again. So that's, I mean, I get I it. Think like, yeah. I, I think I like I like the Lego movie. I think the Lego movie is fantastic. I guess part of where I'm coming from is it feels like kids movies are not made solely for kids anymore. They're made for like adults to watch them with their kids. And it feels like a shift from the kids movies that I liked when I was little, you know, and I, I kind of blame Shrek for part of that for saying like. I guess we're tilting kids' movies into family films, which you're right. There is a difference. You know, like, I I want kids' movies to belong to kids again, which is why I really like the new Sonic movie. You know, like, I thought the Sonic movie had a kid's sense of humor. But so did I. I love the first Sonic movie. Totally. It's great. Okay, okay, okay. Then maybe my distinction is it's not that, like, the Sonic movie shouldn't be liked by adults, too, but it's not made for adults. No, but I think there's a difference. It's made for kids, even though there's a No, but I think there's a difference, Amy. Like, I mean, my opinion is, like, You watch a movie like there's just low tier animated films that feel so slapped together that they're not even trying to be films like films should be films, right? They can have different ratings. Like, I don't think like Shrek is at its heart a fairy tale film like and it is a really enjoyable film for kids and adults. You can draw that line. Mitchell's versus the Machines. I love that movie. I loved it for completely different reasons than my kids. Uh, the same thing for that new Pixar movie uh, about the two brothers, like Onward. Like, I think that, you know, Pixar really comes in and shows that distinction even more. This idea that there are two people watching this film and getting something totally different out of it. Inside Out for my kids is a very different experience than Inside Out for me. And I think that's the artistry of it. Where it gets bad 
is a kid's film that is trying to be a quote-unquote kid's film. Like, there shouldn't be a kid's film. E.T. is like a kid's film, but it's also not a kid's film. Well, yeah, but what I'm talking about is stuff like, you know, I had to see the new My Little Pony movie that came out recently, like this year. Mm-hmm. And the entire That's My Little kid's Pony- film. Okay, yes, but the entire new My Little Pony movie is all about Trump and how does Trump get elected. And it's explaining how Trump gets elected and why you can't hang out with your uncle anymore through the lens of My Little Ponies dealing with fascism. That's exactly like what the new uh, Fantastic Beast movie is about, too. And part of me is like, why do we have to keep like laying these heavy issues into kids movies and not just doing like great kids movies? I, I, I feel like sensitive to like seeing Trump in my kids' movies, and I feel sensitive to too many boner jokes in my kids' movies. Or, or I, I walk that line jokes, because, I guess, I, I, guess I walk a line like, here because I, yeah. I think like, like I think that Warner Brothers cartoons are a perfect example of cartoons that work on two levels. Bugs Bunny, Roadrunner, that, that whole ilk. Uh, yeah. They were very funny and they, and they are funny for adults and they are funny for kids. Yeah, and I think that you can perfect. do that. Those are perfect. That's exactly what I'd love to see more of. You know, a movie that makes you, or a cartoon that makes you be like, I kind of want to learn a little bit about Wagnerian opera as right. a kid, but is also super funny. I think but it's I just people aren't are synergizing them very well lately. And I'm finding I, it really irritating. I, 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 I think it's, it's such a wide genre. It's hard to make, for me anyway, to make, uh, like, I don't want to make, I don't want to overstep and say like, oh, yes, all these movies are like this because, you know, there's something about soul that is so unique. And I almost feel like that's an adult film that just happens to be animated. And I guess what I'm drawing the distinction of is saying there are, I think, the best PG films. How about talk about like by ratings? I think the best PG and G films can be enjoyed by everyone in the family. And I think I really do believe that I've seen that time and time again, that a great family film works on totally different levels. Yeah. And yeah. But I think part of where I'm coming from is also, you know, there's all of these death knells of like the end of cinema and kids don't want to watch movies anymore and oh, what have we done? And I want to say, I think part of that, if kids don't feel that excited about going to the movie theater anymore, it's because we took a Batman movie and we made it really grim and miserable and three hours long. And I just, I want to, I want us to be making kids movies that actually are for kids again, more of them for big screen stuff. But look, I'm going to argue this and say some of the highest grossing films are films like Into the Spider-Verse, which kids absolutely love. You know, movies like Encanto, a giantly high-grossing film. You know, we're talking that animation is where it's at. Like, animation is bringing people not only to the theater. They're not superhero movies. They are movies that everyone can enjoy, and they are the movies outside of Marvel that are consistently working. They're good, but also, yeah, they're good. They're good. They're good. I but know I, that you I, are I looking for like more like... Sometimes I feel like Pixar's like... getting a little too navel-gazy for like... I, I don't know. I mean, I really do think that Shrek played a part in this. Like, there's this review of Shrek 3, which I think is when it's getting really out of control, mm-hmm. that David Denby wrote. And in his review, he talked about like going to see Shrek 3 at the theater, David Denby from The New Yorker, and hearing a seven-year-old girl in the theater say that she needed to turn off her cell phone. And at first he was hoping she was kidding, and it was a seven-year-old with a cell phone. And it plunged him into this weird despair of kind of wondering if 
seven-year-olds had ever seen the original Snow White at this moment, or if they only knew the Shrek. And if, as he wrote, you know, is the Shrek phenomenon one of those seeming oddities in our culture? Children being entertained with derision before they've been ravished by awe. You know, he's like, is seven too early for this kind of dark on um, irony? Shrek, he called it postmodernism for towheads, pastiche for the potty trained. And there is something weird in like the the sardonicness this that is also, this movie steeped people in. But I, I don't know. Like, I want to I want to celebrate that these movies aren't creating this fantasy world. Like, Snow White is an impressive film. We wa- we talked about it on the show. We I I I've highly enjoyed watching Snow White. My kids would not enjoy that film, um, but the times are changing. Like, and to me, watching my kids truly like start to comprehend film probably happens between like four, four and five, maybe like maybe a little bit earlier. Like they're watching images before that, but like they're really laughing along with things. And the world they're living in is completely different. Like they're not even ingesting media the way that we used to. Like I watch my kids react to commercials as if they're viruses. Like, what is this? Why am I watching a commercial? They don't even know what TV is because they're watching, you know, we're watching iTunes or whatever, Roku, whatever. You're just going to the next thing. So I think like, that idea, like David Demby, and no offense, I am a big fan, but he grew up as a child, and you grew up as a child, and I grew up as a child, completely different than how our kids are growing up as a child. And we can't say like, oh, recreate what my childhood was like. I watch my kids, we just went to Disney World. 90% of the time, if I gave them the option between riding a ride, meeting a character, or going to the hotel pool, they would want to go to the hotel pool, right? Like they are in a different world. Like they're Like the rides are fun for them, but they're not as magical as they were for me when I was a kid. Like, I was blown away by Disneyland and World. I was like, oh, my God, look at this. Oh, I want to go in there. I want to ride this. I want to wait here. My kids, then I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think that, like, the times are changing. And I don't think we can go backwards and say, oh, we're treating them wrong and kids shouldn't have cell phones. And that's a bigger story. But, like, Wait, times but, are different. But like, times my kids change. are watching YouTube. Yeah, but times change because adults do things that change time. Adults make Shrek. You know, adults change time through the type of movies that they see that do well. Well, you're saying so so you're saying like Little House on the Prairie would be like still top tier quality television right now. Do you really think that's what I'm saying? I wouldn't even read those books when my mom was trying to force me as a kid. I loved that when I was a kid. I'm just saying I loved it. I couldn't get enough. You're pointing out good kids movies that do exist. And I like it. I'm just saying I want to see more and I want to see a little less like feeling I, like adults need to get a whole other subtext. I don't out of know. A kids I movie. just I, I disagree because I grew up with watching. I grew up watching reruns of Happy Days and Different Strokes and Facts of Life. Like every day I would come home at four or five o'clock. You would watch these shows. And those were adult theme shows. You can't do that on television was like these gross shows. Like there is no, I don't think there's really any difference. Like farts and dumb things have always been around. We've seen them in Warner Brothers cartoons. I'm not talking about farts, bro. What are you talking talking about? about I'm talking about like, like, I don't know, the sex jokes when Robin Hood sings to Fiona right here. And give to the needy. It takes a wee percentage. But I'm not greedy. I risk you pretty damsels. Man, I'm good. Take <laughs> it down. I 
Al like non è sfaite Non so se del medo What is basically saying Is he likes to get paid So oh, When a nogger in the bush Got the lady by the tooth That's bad That's bad That's bad That's bad When a beauty's with a beast It makes me awfully mad He's mad He's really, really mad Now I'll take my blade And ram it through your heart Keep your eyes on me boys Cause I'm about to stop I'm talking well, about that But I guess I'm really talking you? about Like more More like even Uh When people start making like Paris Hilton jokes in Shrek movies and stuff like that, it's just tedious. Like I don't like timestamps on my kids' movies. I don't like referential things in my kids' movies. Well, but okay. The one joke I didn't even like in the new Sonic is they talk about Limp Bizkit tickets. I'm like, who seeing a Sonic movie at this age of your kid even knows what Limp Bizkit is? Bless your little innocent heads. Okay, but okay. Then I guess we're coming back to the point that I was trying to make in the beginning, which is don't lump them all together. Because I agree with you. There are movies like that you just mentioned, that reference pop culture. Like, I can... No offense to the Trolls franchise. My kids love the Troll franchise. You know, that's just a... That's like a jukebox movie, right? It's just like hits, 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 whatever. Uh, but that's a different type of movie. Like, there there are movies... There are lesser <laughs> movies. Like, look, the, Morbius is not... Morbius is not uh, Doctor Strange, right? Morbius is its own thing. Like, you can't just say, like, well, if all superhero movies are like Morbius. They're not. Like, there are variations. Like, there are shitty movies. There are shitty movies that are aimed at kids. There are elevated movies aimed at kids. And I think that you can't, okay. like, dictate. Well, this yeah. is the way you have to exaggerate my argument to win. That's No, fine. I'm not. Wait, I'm going to take your transition I... to jukebox musicals and say, did it surprise you to remember that Shrek... Shrek... Includes the song Hallelujah because I completely forgot that. I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord, but you don't really care for music, do you? It goes like this the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift. I forgot that Shrek not only instituted the smash mouthification of our culture, Shrek, I believe, is probably the most directly responsible film for why we hear different covers of Hallelujah in basically every film and TV ever ever made. I mean, I, I really remember it from OC very clearly. I guess as a kid who loved movies, I grew up on, you know, like the movies that I loved as a child, besides Star Wars and Indiana Jones, was like Karate Kid and Goonies. And, you know, those uh, Goonies, it's funny, is a scary ass movie, which in the first 30 seconds, the lead child goes, ah, shit. Right. And it's like, oh, wow. Like, right. So that's like, you know, and and, you know, they, there's a, a villain in that movie who's trying to like put uh, a yeah. mouth's hand into a blender. That's right? all and fine. It, I'm great with that. Okay. I'm great with that. I'm just saying adults need to get their fingers off of kids' movies and let kids' movies also be for kids. Kids like scary stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But I just think everything is made I'm not too much your for feet ad- to it. But what are I you saying? I think that we make kids' movies too much in mind with will adults also like it. But and I think we take kids' franchises and make them so too what's adult, a perfect and kids then movie like and then we what, get what's grumbly. a perfect kids' movie? Like what's a perfect kids' movie that's just for kids in your mind? Honestly, I still really do like Sonic. Limp Bizkit joke aside. I think it has like a really good kid sense but of humor. I, am, I think but it I am, but on I'm a kid talking level. about I'm looking at that first Sonic. I haven't seen the second one. Uh, and I'm going, that's a movie that is doing exactly what we're talking about here, which is making jokes 
for both sides of the aisle. The reason why Jim Carrey's in it to a certain extent is to give me that connection. Go, oh my gosh, I love Ace Ventura. I grew up with Ace Ventura. I, I, I'm in. You know, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm going to see this That's true, but kid. that was always that way in the 80s, too, in the 90s. We just didn't know that those people were famous. I, 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 look, I think that you can definitely have a point with how DreamWorks comes into the world is they start casting big stars. Like when Lion King and Little Mermaid, they come out, I don't know who the fuck is in those movies. Yeah, like I know true. now, like and Robbie Benson and people like that, but it's like, but they're not like Will Smith is the shark. You know, it's like, yeah. and these movies definitely lead with the billing, right? This is a movie where you see the, the list of names of trolls of anything and go, oh, this is going to be like, it, it starts treating them like, uh, the way that you would treat yeah. uh, a live action movie. So I think that there is an element of that to maybe pull in the audience. I guess where I'm just having, where I'm reacting, and I think it's, we're talking about a few different things at play because I think we have lost in many respects the mid-budget family movie. There's no more, and I'm dating myself again, but there's no more Shaggy DA, right? Which was, you know, or Flubber, even though there's, or the absent right. minor professor, technically. Or but like there even aren't the those... Adam Project on Netflix, although I think that's a little bigger, bigger budget yes. than what we're That's thinking. a little bit more like the back to future. Yeah. Like there aren't those, there, I guess there aren't those types of films that I grew up on, like the family film that was live action anymore. I think it all gets turned into animated films. And I think that that, does animated films a disservice because you have those jokes like we played at the Academy Awards where it's like, well, animated films all are equal and they're not. And I, I would argue that Mitchell's versus the Machines, you wouldn't be talking about it as like a kid's film if it wasn't animated. So I think there's this confusion of what these movies are, Lego movie and stuff like that. It's like, no, they just happen to be these really you know, they are great filmmakers making these amazing films. And And okay. I think, you know, so I think there's two things at play that I I hear what you're saying, that when you're trying so hard and you're making all these pop culture references, but I would argue that I would feel that same way with another film. I don't think it's just exclusive to kids. I think that that is, I've done writer's rooms where you have to punch up stuff and write jokes for char characters, say, off camera to make it funny. And you're just going for the moment of, does it live in the moment? Do we get this joke in the moment? And versus something like Monty Python, where there's not really any references in there that date it. Like they go, oh, that's something from the 70s, right? Like that's, that's something that you yeah, know there's no like david cassidy jokes in there or something like yes that. and I, so I, I understand british david that. cassidy is and i do think that the best films well, yeah are like that yeah have you ever brought your magic to walt disney world like hey we came to play did you tip your tiara to a creole princess or get goofy officially when we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu.
Well, okay. So yes, I have not seen Shrek the musical, but speaking of just like adults reading so much into stuff, mm-hmm. I found this academic abstract about Shrek the musical that I just wanted to read because like, to me, it really captured the intensity with which we have like combed and combed and combed over these kind of films. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. There's this academic abstract called Let Our Freak Flags Fly, Shrek the Musical and the Branding of Diversity. And a bunch of academics, this is what their abstract is. Um, We argue that DreamWorks used Shrek the Musical to exploit a generic theme of multiculturalism to extend the reach of the Shrek franchise and challenge Disney's domination of the Broadway market. By bringing a political economic analysis to bear on the study of commercial theater, the essay shows that DreamWorks' marketing strategy, diversification, provided the theme diversity for the product it was employing to implement that strategy. Yet because Shrek's multicultural message is contradicted by the blatant racial stereotyping of Donkey, Shrek's jive-spotting sidekick, the musical, in fact, epitomizes the contradictions that inform multiculturalism in the early 21st century marketplace and functions as an unlikely emblem of the age of Obama. I would have to read that a couple more times and look at it, but I, I get the, it was I get just the, so the much, sense of it. Yeah. It was so much. I couldn't actually read the whole abstract because I just couldn't actually. I really have a hard time reading academic papers. But that just, that just like, it kind of stopped me cold because I was wondering, oh, if we take this a step back, does this mean that Shrek itself is maybe the beginning of promoting sort of like diversity, body acceptance, that we all come in different packages, that well, like princess culture isn't... You know, it, yes. the, we we talked a lot about Fr- Frozen breaking like the mold of princess culture, but really going back and watching Shrek, I was like, Fiona is so much cooler than the princesses in, in Frozen. Like this movie to and me is so much about yes. like, yeah, this movie to me is about like being accepted as yourself, you know, kind of a well, defiant I was I was going to talk about this because I had an issue with it. The idea of this movie is in, you know, uh, we've talked a lot about the conflict, the overall idea of animation. So we haven't talked about the movie as much, but I will say that the idea in this movie is that Fiona is afflicted with this curse. The curse is at night, this beautiful princess turns into a horrible, ugly ogre who just happens to look exactly like Shrek. Now, my moral would be at the end of the movie, when they kiss, She stays the beautiful princess and loves Shrek. But in this movie, it's like she kisses him. She gets locked as the ugly ogre, which the message to me is stay with your own kind. Oh, I hear that. But to me, there's also a little bit it's of like <laughs> he loves her for how she looks in that body, too. You know, when she, like, he would, I love, he would Fiona, love her. He loved her pretty. Somebody... She, he could be vain, too. He only knew her pretty. He hadn't seen her in ogre form. I think there's something beautiful in the fact that, like, she knows he loves her, but she wants to insist on her transforming so that he knows who he's really committing to. The bravery of that. I actually looked up. I was like, oh, man, that's right. Princess Fiona is a character who comes out, like, three years before, to me, the first revolutionary thing I saw about body acceptance, which was, like, those Dove ads with, had, with, oh, you know, yeah. had like, real mm-hmm. women in white underwear. Yeah. That hadn't even happened in culture yet. So for Fiona to be like, you will see me as I am, not in this princess format, and like, am I still beautiful? Are you all right? Well, yes, but I, I don't understand. I'm supposed to be beautiful. But you are beautiful. 
I love that. Like, I, well, this, maybe I I'm missing. Maybe I'm favorite. missing no, it because I, 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 I hear I, what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. But also, to me, there's something beautiful in Fiona being called beautiful. I I agree. Like, I I also feel like that that's it. And they they also talk about you know the the love relationship between the donkey and the dragon too. There's also this idea of you know the the dragon is enamored with yeah. donkey. Uh, I mean, I it's know. kind of the movie is kind of being like ugly girls get love too, I guess, is its point with dragon. Yeah. I mean, if that's their parallel, like I it's, will embrace yeah. this. And, but this movie is, is very, yeah, but this movie is know. very, very, and I'm going to go, but now I'm going to switch over to your point is actually makes fun of people's differences. Like the, the fact that, that Lord Farquhar is short is a major joke in this movie. It's like, it's Oh, really he's the short. only joke. Yeah. It's his only joke is he's short and kind of like superficial. Yeah. I, I do like the joke when they like pound his head into the cake topper though. But it's like <laughs> but only I, one joke and kind of lame. But I mean, they do come back to it a lot. This movie is about making fun of people's differences. Like, you know, it, it, there is this idea of otherism in it. Like, you know, I don't think that this movie is like fully accepting people's differences. It's, it's, I guess what it is is saying we're all weird so we can make fun of it. But everyone has got their own weird things that they're upset by. Like when Fiona calls Shrek ugly, he goes and runs away. Right. But he can go and say that the Lord is fucking short and he's like, I'm the best. So it's like, OK, well, <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. And then like the true enemy seems to be a kind of orderliness that nobody fits into. Like the when you go to like the the Duloc kingdom mm-hmm. and it's just which is this Disney. mean riff on Disney, which I personally love. Um you know, you have the welcome to Duloc. To me, like that whole sequence is about like orderliness and beauty and people all in a row and good looks. That is like oppressive fascism is what I think it's saying. Well, then you didn't like fascism in uh, in the in the the uh, little pony movie. But here, when done with a different brush, <laughs> it, it like, you know, because like, Do you know what I'm saying? It's like 90 minutes of ponies talking about Trump. Oh, my nobody God. does. And that's why that movie is not even in the top 150 of the most uh, highest grossing animated <laughs> films of all time. I don't even know if that movie was released. You're talking about like my little pony movie as if like people know what you're talking about. Like, like, you like that parents act like. You are the only people who have to see every kid's movie. Us critics, us noble well, suffering critics have to see every kid's movie. I would movie. like to I would like to sit down with you and then go like and and make cuz there's something I would imagine that if I had to watch that in a theater, like that I would be like, "Oh my god, you know, like I understand I understand where the animosity could be because like you're watching that so plainly. Uh and I think a good movie should be judged all equally. That's that's what we're kind of saying here. It's like movies are movies, right? Animation is just a, I wouldn't even say it's a genre. It's just a technique because you have a beautiful costume design, amazing music. You have great acting. You have this, you have so much. Here in this? I'm just, yeah, I would argue that this movie looks great. And in all animated films, there's so much craftsmanship that goes into it. But I I was like, I, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is how do we, all right, 
let's talk about Morbius. Let's talk about Morbius and My Little Pony, right? Morbius is a new Jared Leto superhero movie that people are calling the worst movie of 2022. And I love when that happens so early in the year. Uh, I have not seen it, so I'm not talking about Morbius. But the issues like it's pretty bad. Okay, so the issues why you may not like Morbius or Batman. I would argue are the same reasons why you don't like My Little Pony. Why is animation viewed differently? Like it's not a superhero movie; it's an animated movie. It's not. It's not a. Uh, it's not a bad comedy or fantasy film like My Little Pony. It's a bad kids film. So what? I guess my question is. Because My Little Pony is PG. There's a lot of PG movies out there. I'm looking it up right now. My Little Pony, New Generation, hour and 31 minutes, perfect length for a comedy. Uh, but I guess what I'm saying is, how can we break this idea? Is there anything else? Live action, live action is not judged as one genre. Animated okay. is. I mean, to be honest, if you... And by the way, what, 91% you, on Rotten Tomatoes for My Little Pony. Yeah, I actually, I think my review might even be positive. I'm not even sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm saying, like, if you what? put it, what yeah. are you talking about? You just railed on this movie. You you called it. I railed on the t- concept underneath it because I don't know why we have to do it, but it is actually fairly charming. I'm just, <laughs> if you put me on an airplane and you said there are only three movies here, you have to either watch the Batman, Morbius, or the My Little Pony Trump movie again. I'd watch the My Little Pony Trump movie. I would. Great. Great. I would. I would. <laughs> but, <right. laughs> but I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think we do it's just like if we talk about live action as a genre that sounds so funny so we've had to kind of segregate it out but like I, I i don't know i feel like when i think of animation i think of the whole range from miyazaki to flea to shrek so right. i i don't know i don't see it as like just one thing but i think but like i guess i mean i guess we don't say animated this or we don't right we don't say like it, animated like, fantasy yeah. oh yeah. you know like i think in watching this movie, first of all, Shrek is, I think, a very good movie. Like, I think it is a great, fun fairy tale movie. What do you think? Do you like? I, I mean, think it is not. I think it's actually weirdly boring. I think the first half is quite boring, to be honest. Really? Like, See, I think the first half is Shrek so like, bam, and bam, Donkey kind of hanging out and talking about nothing and kind of trading quips back and forth. There's little bits. I think the torture of the gingerbread man is pretty funny. Run, run, run as fast as you can. You can't catch me. I'm the gingerbread man. You're a monster. I'm not the monster here. You are. You and the rest of that fairy tale trash poisoning my perfect world. Now tell me, where are the others? Eat me. I've tried to be fair to you creatures. Now my patience has reached its end. Tell me or I'll... No, not the buttons. Not my gumdrop buttons. All right, then. Who's hiding them? That scene is amazing, and they double down on it too many times afterwards. But do you but do you think that Midnight Run is boring? Midnight Run is better than the first half of Shrek. I I, I don't think that Shrek really to me finds around. its own. Yeah. But I think the jokes are better. I don't think Shrek finds its legs for me until Fiona shows up. I'm actually very much into Fiona. I will I want to say that so clearly. I love Fiona. I think Fiona has like such a great arc of like coming out of her training of what a woman, what a princess is supposed to be, having these rules for herself and then like learning that she can be a woman who actually likes to eat weed rats and she can burp. Like she kind of discovers a whole range of personality and finds freedom in being herself. In all of the kids movies about like just be yourself and you're going to be okay. I usually think it's kind of lame and I don't buy it, but I totally buy it with Fiona. I love her arc. That she starts off like this. Oh, uh, Wake up. What? Are you Princess Fiona? 
I am. Awaiting a knight so bold as to rescue me. Oh, that's nice. Now let's go! But wait, Sir Knight! This beeth our first meeting. Should it not be a wonderful, romantic moment? Yeah. Sorry, lady. There's hey, no time. Hey, wait! What are you doing? You know, you should sweep me off my feet out yonder window and down a rope onto your valiant steed. You've had a lot of time to plan this, haven't you? Mm-hmm. And then blossoms into the Fiona at the end of the movie. I love it. The only Fiona moment I don't like, actually, is the one where she suddenly like becomes like a Matrix fighting karate chopper who battles people because it just makes me think too much of all of the other dumb action movies we mistake as being feminist. I think Fiona herself is a wonderful character. Love Fiona. So it's me. I only I, like this movie when she shows up. Okay, I'm not arguing that Fiona is a great character. I, I agree with you. I agree with everything you said. Um, but I also want to just point out that Trek is a great character. He is a character that is reviled by because of how he looks. And so he has taken that so personally that he lives a life separate from anyone and he just wants to be alone. Like he's not a character. He's a character who has no friends because no one will accept him for how he looks, right? Do you think and what that's he, really it? Yes, he says it as much. He's like, I Uh, want to be alone. I am. People are coming. They're trying to hunt him down. Not they're not trying to capture him because Lord Farquhar wants a fucking uh, fairy tale characters. They're trying to hunt him down because they think ogres are terrible, gross people. And they're trying to hurt him. My cat is named Ogre now. I feel like I should apologize to him. uh, (laughs) But I do feel like I thought you named him after Shrek. Um, (laughs) No, I named him after um, Revenge of the Nerds. Actually, oh. that's not true. Oh, whoa. Oh, that's not true. Uh, all right. <laughs> uh, another great movie with uh, good positive role models. The, uh, but I would say that- It's got some. You know I love the Omega Moose. Don't get yes. me started on the Omega Moose. Okay. Uh, the, <laughs> the, but, the, but the idea to me is like this way that we cut off ourselves because we are not accepting how we look or how we feel. And we're not showing everybody what we- are on the inside. What you're talking about at that end where like she's okay with it is also the journey of Shrek. Shrek has made a friend. He's made a love. He's shown himself and not been rejected. And there's so many people out there that can connect to this idea of being afraid to be rejected, that they that they hole up and they don't they don't connect. I think that that idea is a timeless idea. Um and so I do, for that reason, uh, you know, think that Shrek has a beautiful arc. And in that beginning of the movie where you're saying they're just farting around, just talking. I mean, they literally are farting around. But the reason why they are just like just aimlessly talking is like that's him learning how to even have someone in his life. Very similarly to De Niro talking to Charles Grodin. Charles Grodin forces him to confront these issues. Same thing with <laughs> Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. John Candy forces him to, Steve Martin, to like, talk about these things and not actually hide behind them. And I think that there is a, a, a strong buddy movie element in this film that allows these this character to push him to a level of uncomfortability to allow them to grow to the end. I think all of that is actually totally fair. But part of why I have a hard time loving that about it is just because it's so different than the book that it's based on. You know, like Well, so Shrek- is Elf. Well, yeah. But like the Shrek book that it's based on, a book called Shrek, has such a different spin on him that I also admire in its own way. You know, it's about um, a guy, it doesn't actually even use the word ogre. It's just about a guy who's so ugly that he like goes on this kind of trip and he wanders around to a castle and he beats a dragon. He does a lot of the same things with a donkey, but he's just so ugly that everyone around him recoils 
And instead of feeling bad about it, he loves it. Like he loves himself for being who he is from the beginning. He loves that he's a monster. There's a bit where he enters a castle and he's surrounded by all of these mirrors. And he's looking at this, he's looking at himself for the first time in a mirror. And he's like, oh, I'm so repellent. It's wonderful. And I like that that character loves himself from the beginning for being terrifying. You see, I think that Shrek loves himself, but knows that no one else will love him because like he is a hero. He rescues Donkey from the bridge. He rescues the princess. He can pick them up over his shoulder. He is funny. He is like he's not without personality. He, He knows that he looks a certain way and he can scare people. He does it not through violence, but through humor, you know, and, and we see all these moments of him. What we, what I think he's getting over is lowering his guard. He's comfortable in himself, but he knows or he assumes this is not what everybody else wants to see. I mean, I do actually want to talk about the guy who wrote Shrek, who put like his own personality into the book Shrek because he's fascinating. And I find him actually really inspirational because this guy, William Steig, He doesn't write the Shrek book until he is 83 years old. 83 years old. This man writes Shrek. Uh, He lives to see Shrek on film when he's 93 years old. He lives this amazing life. Like he's a guy who's born in 1907. His parents are um, immigrants, uh, Jewish immigrants from Ukraine. He grows up in the Bronx. His parents are both like socialists during the Great Depression. And he says that the way they raised him was like they didn't want their sons to become workers because if they were workers, they'd be exploited by the businessmen. But they didn't want them to become businessmen because then they would be people who would exploit workers. So the kids were like, I guess we'll become artists. And they all did. And so William Steig, he's this guy who starts drawing when he's um, a teenager in high school because his family's super broke during the Depression. And he realizes people will buy his drawings. And it's his drawings that keep his family like alive and fed during the Depression. Oh, wow. And what he's really interested in drawing is what he calls like the sort of these human emotional caricatures. Like he would draw kind of illustrations meant to capture the idea of feeling rejected or of feeling shame. They're kind of almost like meme-like. They don't make a ton of sense. They're sort of surrealist, just raw, shaggy, emotional sketches of people feeling just different emotions that they're embarrassed to feel. And they, uh, at first they were like rejected by the New Yorker, which is where I was trying to apply. But people like um, psychologists, Freudian people, anthropologists, Margaret Mead, they like loved all of his work. He actually like marries Margaret Mead's sister. So he just lives this like crazy interesting life where like the man who creates Shrek is creating it from a whole lifetime of like being interested in psychoanalysis and being interested in feeling kind of like aggression and shame and being a misfit. Like he considered himself kind of a romantic uh, reject. He was like married four times. Uh, he, I think he's actually kind of handsome. If you look at pictures of him when he's young, he sort of looks like Pete Davidson, but yeah, he doesn't start doing kids books until his sixties. And I love his kids books. Like to me, they almost capture the tone that I'm talking about that I wish we could see because they have kind of like, they're made for kids. They have such a child psychology to it. They're written in a kid way, but they're having fun with language and poking words around and being really playful and talking about like really scary stuff too. At the same time, you might have, do you remember, did you ever read that book, Sylvester and the Magic Pebble? Um, Do you remember this book? No, I don't. Oh, this book was terrifying. Okay. This is the book that like really started his career. It's about this donkey who finds a magic pebble in the ground. It's like a beautiful red pebble. And when you hold this pebble, you can get any wish that you want. So this donkey's holding this pebble and he's wishing for the weather to change. He's doing all this stuff. And then he sees a lion and he gets really freaked out. So this kid 
donkey wishes he was a rock. But once he's a rock, the pebble, of course, falls out of his hand because he doesn't have any hands. So he's stuck as a rock because he can't touch the pebble. And this goes on for a very, very long time. His parents think he's dead. He's trapped in this rock-like existence. The cops get involved. And because, like, William Stieg drew the cops as pigs, this book got banned in a bunch of schools because they thought he was calling cops pigs. Huh. Um and and it doesn't he actually doesn't become a donkey again until his parents picnic on the pebble picnic on the rock and they hold the pebble and they think he would have really liked it and they put the pebble on him and he just wishes to be a donkey again and he comes back to life none of this is ringing a bell for you because this was incredibly traumatic for me as a child no never 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 heard about this uh, well yeah William Stieg he's amazing so I like that he wrote this kind of punk rock book about like you can be an ugly weirdo and just embrace it man it's really cool and I guess but, yeah. I don't need all of the sogginess of this film. Well, I guess, all right, look, we talked about this a little bit too. And let me just say before we get to this point in the show, which we don't even really do that much anymore, I'm not sending Shrek to space. I am thankful for Shrek for what it opens up the door to. And I know that you think that that door opening is a point of no return where we go on a downward spiral, but I disagree. But I will say this, this film also is a mess in the sense of, who was responsible for it? It was written for different people. Everyone else was attached to it. There are a million versions of the script. Sometimes yeah, you will see- There was a huge fight over who was going to go and accept the Oscar even because Katzenberg wanted to do it. And they were like, that's a bad look. You're going to look like a real egotistical dick. Wow, but he was like, the-, the directors didn't do enough on it to like justify it because he felt like he just assigned them. Although it was like Andrew Adamson who really pushed for more boner jokes. He wanted them to play Welcome to the Jungle in the movie, but like that was the line he went too far. I, I will say that I have worked under that, like I said earlier in the thing, I worked under that Katzenberg style of animation. He's very hands-on. And and for better or for worse, he is there. And that's kind of, I guess you could make the argument of the new culture of like what Marvel is. Like, you know, Feige is the head of everything Marvel. Like it all goes through him, you know, at a certain point, like you are playing in his sandbox, which is not a, like, look, it's a different type of filmmaking. Um, but I guess what I, my point was, yes, a million people were on this as actors, as artists, uh, as writers. And I think what we're getting to now is much more of the auteur vision in this medium. And I, again, I'm, I, I know there are going to be exceptions in, to the rule, but in the last, you know, decade, you're getting much more of a clear voice. This is a story I want to tell. This is a story I want to make. And I'm making it like the animation before used to be like a writer's room mentality. It feels like, and now it feels like it's much more of a vision of a director leading a ship and not just filling in the blanks. Uh, and I do think that that actually has made, you know, has risen the tide here, you know, has made all the other things, uh, you know, just get better because of that. Because we are treating animation like we treat live action, which is the director is king. I mean, I do want to say for all of my grousing, there are other lovely moments to it. I love it when they zoom in on Shrek's face and Fiona yeah. and you see their pores for the first time. I remember just being wowed by the sight of pores. Like, oh my God, pores in animation. It was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Oh, I mean, I and love that stuff in, in, in Pixar movies too. Like when you really oh, yeah. see a human face, you're like, oh wow. Like, whoa. Yeah, but I think Shrek was the first movie to try to animate humans for real. Because in Toy mm-hmm. Story, I think we're still only seeing feet for most of this. You might have seen Andy's face, I think. You you see, yeah. you see definitely see uh, the next door neighbor's face. Yeah, that's true. But I think, I don't know. I think there's something important about Fiona 
I think Fiona was like, you can really see how rough and weak we were in kind of learning how to make like people walk naturally. Mm-hmm. I think Fiona was really trying to push the limit of, of what they could do. But there's this lovely moment, I think, where Shrek is kind of leaning on the ground and he's looking up at the stars and he's telling stories about all of the great ogres and all the fairy tales. And it got me thinking about our whole like fantasy series, you know, and what is it like to come from a culture of stories? And I felt really happy watching that scene that ogres have their own culture of stories. And uh, that one, that's throwback. The only ogre to ever spit over three wheat fields. Right. Yeah. Hey, can you tell my future from these stars? Well, the stars don't tell the future, Donkey. They tell stories. Look, there's Bloodnut, the flatulent. (laughs) You can guess what he's famous for. (laughs) All right, now I know you're making this up. No, look, there he is, and there's the group of hunters running away from his stench. Man, that ain't nothing but a bunch of little dots. You know, Donkey, sometimes things are more than they appear. Hmm? Because I feel like, you know, honestly, I feel like if there is a universal in all of these fantasy films we're talking about, I like the idea of shared myths, even when we're turning them inside out and breaking them apart and making fun of them. I like I like that human culture has come up with stories that we all know. You know, I think there's something beautiful in that. Yeah, I, I think what we're experiencing a little bit in this film is the ability to do whatever you wanted to do in animation. And I think some of the great leaders in animation, and I'm not talking about personal life here, but like somebody like John Lasseter also had this thing, like I feel constrained by Disney. I want to break out of it. I want to do something different, right? And I think he he did it a lot visually um, and, and elevated certain storytelling techniques. I also think here in Trek, it's like, what if we could do the Disney movie that had shits and farts and boner jokes in it? And sometimes when you have that first chance out of the gate, it is a calibration setting. It's like, we could do it all, you know? And it's I'm, th- this movie isn't Fritz the Cat, uh, obviously, but it's like this idea that... Ooh, should we do Fritz the Cat? Oh, I would do Fritz the Cat. That'd be interesting. But like this idea that you could... I don't know, like you're trying things and it's free and it's fun and it's like, it's, it's, it's like, you know, getting the keys to your parents' car for the first time. Like, I get to go and control my own destiny, right? So you're pushing at the at the at the sides of it, and just seeing like how much can you do. Um, and so I do I do believe that like these firsts and and these firsts that allow us to get like five years later because this movie takes four years to kind of make. And I think there are these you know these effects probably a lot of ADR was done after Shrek comes out to to Shrek up movies oh my right God, listen to you you love Shrek you love uh, Shrek so uh, no, much no I, like I, the I, truth I, is like, <laughs> I, like I think what I I think what I I'm I'm definitely over Shrek like I like I was done with Shrek I'm happy he's got his star on the walk of fame you know it's whatever like Shrek doesn't do it for me I I if I was on an airplane and Shrek was a choice I wouldn't do it I wouldn't watch Shrek because it's not the first thing that I'm jumping at. I was surprised at how funny it was, especially the first half. I think that story is very simple. I think it's very, uh, it's it's meta without undercutting the emotions. Um, is it the best? No. Is it the funniest? No. But I do believe that it's responsible and it, it has a place in the pantheon, especially because the first movie to win animated feature uh, to open up doors and inspire so many people to make their own thing that could be weird, could be different, could be uh, differently comedic too, you know? Oh and, and, and yeah. 
I'm going to ask you four Shrek jokes. Okay. And if you get any of these right, you will be saved from having to hear Shrek rap. Are you ready? Oh, okay. Oh, my God. Who is Shrek's favorite singer? Oh, I'm never going to get any of these. This is like where I'm terrible. Like, Shrek's favorite singer. I'm going to, I don't even remember him you, I'll talking. Tell you, I'll tell you as an aside. Uh, they're all terrible puns about bodily fluids. David Boner? <laughs> no, I don't know. Frank Sinatra. <laughs> oh, geez. Is that a joke in the movie? It's a joke in a, in a movie companion book that I found. Oh, fuck you. That, oh, yeah. That, that, you can't do it. that. You oh, can't I'm doing make, it. I'm oh, doing it. No. You have to get one of them. Are you going to hear Shrek? Shrek right? All right, sure. What is Shrek's I gotta know Shrek's favorite fucking fan musical fiction for this? instrument? <sighs> um, uh, the skin flute. <laughs> a pukulele. Okay, great. All right. What is Shrek's favorite basketball move? Um, uh, the uh, the pick your nose and roll. <laughs> That's pretty good. Right. A slime dunk. Okay, okay. That's All right, good. last one, last one. This is your last chance not to hear a Shrek rap. All right. Name Shrek's favorite boy band. Uh, I want to say it's uh like some of In Sync, but like uh -huh. in uh, -huh. uh in in uh -huh. Slump so or In Sync. Uh -huh. Oh so gosh, in how oh, I don't know it. I know it's gonna be it's gonna make me mad. What is it? In Stink. In Stink. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> well, look, I, I'm happy to hear Shrek rap if you want to listen to some of Donkey's Christmas karaoke. Okay, fine. Shrek rapping. Here we go. Somebody lay down a beat. I get a donkey who's wonky. Yo. Fee, fee, fi, fi, fo, fo, fun. Shrek ain't no average ogre, son. I got a donkey who's wonky and I live in the swamp. If you're feeling this ogre, let me hear you stomp. Not bad. I'll take it. Look, I mean, that, and honestly, what you just played there is the reason why I, I think I'm OD'd on Shrek. Like, it's just sort of like, yeah, yeah, Shrek. It's like, it's weird. It's like, I always joked about how Mickey Mouse is like one of the most iconic uh, animated characters ever, but we don't know Mickey Mouse's personality. Besides his voice, like, what is his personality? It's it's like that classic red letter media uh, takedown of Phantom Menace where they're like, describe, uh, you know, Qui-Gon Jinn without saying Jedi, you know, and it's like, you can't like, well, uh, you know, it's like, uh, what, like, what is he like? I don't know. Like, you can't say Jedi. And you can't say like Liam Neeson. You know, it's like it's it's hard. Like there's like so I do believe that there is like Shrek has a personality. Obviously, he's got all those hilarious jokes. So I think they just grind him into the ground. And you can latch on to it. You know, he's the gross guy. He's the, you know, but it's like, I would even say that what the bad part, the downside of animation is as long as that actor shows up and for the most part, they often, sometimes they don't come back, but as long as that lead actor shows up, I mean, Hotel Transylvania, they replaced Adam Sandler with an Adam Sandler impersonator for the new one, which is crazy. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Fantastic Beast replaced Johnny Depp's face, actual human face oh and entire sense of being with Mads Mikkelsen. I mean, that's that is why I mean, it's, it's so <laughs> wild, I guess, like actors can stand firm and be like, I am not going to do this anymore. Like Robert Denny Jr. can say, I am stepping away from Iron Man. As an actor, they literally can't make him be an Iron Man. But if Mike Myers was to say, I am stepping away from Shrek, this script is not up to the standards, they would go, okay, there's a, we're going to go on TikTok, we're going to find the best Shrek impersonator, and we're going to make Shrek 5. And 
that's the downside of animation and it's the and it's to your point about it's it's like well can we make money from it let's keep on going let's keep on going like let, let's just like turn a profit and uh and you can abuse these things and that's the scariness of like these images there's no there's no rights they he's a a corporate owned face i've just gone down a weird rabbit hole but i just like i guess <laughs> i guess that there there's also i think I also think there are actors that would never do the quality of script that they get for animated that they would do for live action. I think that you you there's a lot. I mean, Mike Myers especially is known for being incredibly uh, specific about you know the big fight with Penelope Spheres on Wayne's World it was like he, she wanted to do the uh, you know the Queen song in the car and he was so against it and fought her on it. Like, but I guess. What you get is an apathetic actor who's like, how much you pay me? Sure. Hey, stop farting in my shit house. Great. Like, you know, and they go, they record it and they get the fuck out of there. And I think so that's that's the the downside of this stuff is that you I think you lose some of that quality control, but you lose that quality control across the board. There's there's many people I could say that for who do that in live action, too. So I, I don't know. I'm I think that my big argument here is. Animation needs to be viewed in genre the same way that live action is. And animation is always going to be working behind the eight ball because you can have Boss Baby the movie and Boss Baby 2, but you can also have Boss Baby the Netflix series, which doesn't have the writer of Boss Baby the movie nor the voice of Boss Baby in it. And yet it is to most kids thinking that they're all part of the same universe. And that sucks. That sucks because you can devalue a property simply by, you know, shooting it out into the world at such a, a degree. That's why we have Shrek rapping. That's why we have Donkey doing Christmas carols. Uh, so that's a bummer. It also sucks how much worse Boss Baby 2 was than Boss Baby 1. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll pour one out for that. But Yeah, Boss Baby 1, very funny. When Shrek comes out, people love this movie. Like, of course This they movie do. gets great reviews across it's the board. It's a comedy. Yeah, I had to scour to find uh, some negative reviews. And here's one from Michael Atkinson of The Village Voice. This is what he writes. With DreamWorks' new all-digital confection, Shrek, computer animation has finally achieved a dismaying marzipan-ness. Three dimensions are strenuously feigned, but everything seems to be molded from the same elastic nougat. Desperately avoiding the risk of even a half second of boredom, the movie is wall to window to door, noise, babbling, and jokes. The first minute sees the first fart gag. Demographically, it's a hard sell shotgun spray. Four screenwriters and 27 credited additional dialogue writers and story artists toiled here. Uh, and the result is hyperactive cliche. Shrek is a lumpen cipher unleavened by Meyer's d- indistinct delivery. And the driest irony is that for all of Katzenberg's pot shutting, Shrek cannot shake the Disney paradigm. Mocking old movies and theme park absurdities does not mean that DreamWorks can defy the most ubiquitous and powerful entertainment formula of the last 100 years. By which I think he's almost presaging what Shrek will be. Like Shrek comes along and it feels in 2001 anti-corporate and then it just becomes as corporate as everything else. Yeah. Well, look, I understand why you had a hard time finding bad reviews because I think this is a breath of fresh air. That's what I think I'm reacting to. Like, this is just different. So people are like, oh, thank God. Like, give me something different. Like, if you eat, you know, oatmeal every single day and then somebody gives you, you know, a pancake, you're going to be like, this is the best pancake I've ever had. That's the thing that it's going to be the best for the rest of your life, but it's just different. And I think that that's the thing that I really want to reward with Shrek. And I think everything you could say, yes, there are like, and it's always going to come down to this, but 
put well, okay. But but to that point, then yes. I want to do something we've never done before. Yes, which is I, I want to yeah. also read a little bit of an unpublished positive review, uh, written in the era by a school kid who wrote this for a writing class and grew up to be me. Uh, so I'll just read the opening paragraph. I found it today. Dun dun dun. <clears throat> Shrek is a stunning piece of eye candy with an unusual flavor. Amy. DreamWorks Entertainment, the anti-Disney, has created a fractured fairy tale spoof that rips apart sentimental tradition but manages to sew the pieces back together for a happy ending. Boasting a catfight between Cinderella and Snow White, as well as a torture scene involving the gingerbread men, Shrek is tartly refreshing and a cutting antidote to the sugary glop of most other animated films. I loved metaphors, and I still do. <laughs> Amy, 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 how old were you when you wrote this? Oh, yeah, I was still in school. And I want to give like a thank you to my teacher um, at the time, Catherine Jensen White, who gave me a 98 and said that my voice was, quote, donkey-like in its smart acidness. I First of all, <laughs> I, I love that this whole time you've been blaming me for being a Shrek super fan, uh, when only I'm looking at Shrek uh, just <laughs> with, with regular eyes. But, uh, but you were the Shrek super fan. You're getting over it. You can't, you can't reconcile it. Um, I am remembering how fresh it felt. Exactly. And <laughs> I, guess, I guess this is what I'm saying. And maybe this puts a point on what I've been trying to say the entire time. If we view Shrek simply as a comedy film that came out in 2001, I could argue it might be the best comedy film of 2001, right? Like in a movie, in a year where there's movies like meet Joe dirt or sorry, just Joe dirt or evolution, uh, scary movie two or, uh, down to earth saving Silverman, right? If we just view it as a comedy film of 2001, it is Head and Shoulders. I would say the three best comedy movies of that year are Zoolander, Ocean's Eleven, and Shrek. And no order. And, and maybe I'll Super put, Troopers. I'll in put there Fiona too. against almost every other girl suffering through like a movie at that time, except for, as Devin's pointing out, Legally Blonde. Uh, yes, and Legally Blonde. Oh, yeah, sorry. Brutal legally time Bond. For female le- le- yeah, le- legally Bond. Well, Princess Diaries comes out that year, too. Josie and the Pussycats comes out that year, which I love. Uh, I would say Spy Kids. You want to talk about a strong female character? Spy Kids, come on. Okay. Uh, you want to talk about strong female characters? Talk about Ghost World 2001. Uh, strong female characters? You want to talk about Gwyneth okay, Paltrow okay, and Royal okay, Tenenbaums? Okay, you're right. You're right. Or That's also too broad Gwyneth of a brush. Tal- I was just thinking of the world of comedies. <laughs> I was just thinking of the world of comedies and the I just, Tara Reid of it all. So many. Right. Ghost World, Tenenbaums, these are all but comedies. But Tara Reid was in... All right, fine. Just <laughs> I hear what you're saying, though. So, um, I guess, I guess I'm saying is... Uh, I, I, yes. Uh, look, there are different things going on here, and I would still want to shout out uh, the amazing performances by... Anna Ferris in Scary Movie uh, 2 in that year as well. Uh, But all this to be said, Shrek is a comedy that is one of the best comedies of that year. And if we just view it simply as that, I'm not shooting it to space, and just view it as a comedy, a fantasy comedy, I'm giving it thumbs up as well. I'm giving it two ears up. Two ears up. I, you know, I think that that, and, I, and maybe we should start looking at things like that. You know, My Little Pony, is it the best fantasy movie of 2021? I don't know. How many fantasy mm-hmm. movies came out? I don't know, but I do, I do want to reward you for all of your up with Shrekness by playing like something that actually really made me really happy. Um, have you heard of the Sludge Chipmunks? No. Oh, Sludge Chipmunks is when they take like the original Chipmunks album, you know, who did sing who are actually okay, wonderful yes. singers and still wonderful. They slow it down so drastically that it becomes like goth moody and it is beautiful. I just oh, wow. want you to hear this. It is so, if you still have um, Smash Mouth in your head, which I do, hopefully this yeah. will take it away. 
Whoa. Okay, so Paul, you have inspired, I think, two things. One, I want to keep playing out this argument we're having. I think we should do, like, an animation series. And in fact, I think our uh, brilliant intern, Raven Goldston, just came up with the perfect pun that we should do it in May and do an animation series. All right. I'm down for an animation series for May. That sounds great. All right. I'm in. Let's do it. Let's do it. But before we get there, I want to do some more. I want to do some more fantasy stuff. Can we do at least one more? Yeah. Let's do one more. You know what I kind of want to do? I just saw The Northman, uh, the new Robert Eggers movie, the guy who did The Witch. It's like Mm -hmm. Vikings and killing and slashing. And it made me be like, man, I kind of want to go back and watch Conan the Barbarian. Oh, I love that. I don't even know if I've ever seen Conan the Barbarian. I don't think I've seen it since it was on like television when I was a little kid. I'm ready. All right. uh, I'm down. All right. So let's watch Conan the Barbarian. Let's take a listen to the trailer. Between the time when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of. And on to this, Conan, destined to bear the jeweled crown of Aquilonia upon a troubled brow. It is I, his chronicler, who alone can tell thee of his saga. Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. That's all for today's show. And remember to rate and review this show. Tell people about it. It really, truly helps. A big thank you to our super producer, Josh Richmond, and our audio engineer extraordinaire, Devin Bryant. Thank you guys for making this show sound so amazingly great. And our MVP behind the scenes, Molly Reynolds, for making sure that this show runs on time and that we have our research at hand. I also want to give a shout out to Kim Troxell for her amazing art. And if you want to keep this conversation going, please do so at discord.gg slash Paul Shear. There's an unspooled section there where we have debates and votes and polls. We also have our Facebook group, the Unspooled Podcast Facebook group that is still an amazing place to be. I want to give a huge uh, shout out to everyone in all those forums for keeping these conversations going. And I also want to let you know that you can head on over to tpublic.com to check out our Unspooled merch. That's right. Go to tpublic.com slash stores slash unspooled to see what we got in the store. And that's all. We'll see you next week on Unspooled. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.